first and foremost, I want to thank our sponsor, Rabbi Solomon, who has tremendous chuyus, everybody who's here tonight, and the fact that I'm able to be here is all in his chus, and he, and just all good things so that he's able to continue to do wonderful things. Um, there's a theme in Parshas Toldos. There's a lot of themes in Parshas Toldos. But there's one that seems almost somewhat unexpected, I would say. And it pops up over and over again, and that's why I find it so interesting. Perek Chavzayin. Vayi kizakein Yitzchak, v'techena enav merois. Yitzchak is old, and he can't see. I don't know when I'm going to die. Take now your weapons. Kashtecha is your bow. Telcha, Rashi says, is your sword, which hangs by your side. Some of Farshim say that it's a uh, it's a bola. You see that Australia weapon with the two balls with the with the string that you use to throw it. You know, um, because obviously you're going to have a problem uh, if you're going to you don't want the, the animal to be a trefer. So if you throw the little rope around it, you you know, and you you tie up its feet, so now you, you could stop it, right? But uh, if you're going with the arrow, obviously, which is the other. So the Chazal tell us that Asaph was such a good shot he could shecht it with an arrow as it went by the throat, which is quite an accomplishment. I guess he could do the same thing with his sword, you know, uh, and and be able to shecht it without being shahir. It, it's it's needless to say quite a talent. But take your weapons, the and go out and capture me food. And make me yummy food like I love. And then bring it to me, and I'll give you a bracha. Now, okay, there's not one extra word in the Torah. Make me yummy food that I love. And Rivka hears this, and she says to Yaakov, I heard your father tell Esav, Havi'ali tzayit, va'aseli matamim. And make me yummy food. And then I'll give you a bracha before I die. Now, go and do what I tell you. Go to the field. Bring me two gedi'izim. And I'll make delicious yummy food like he loves. Yeah? And Yaakov has a little discussion with his mom. Not so sure this is a great idea, but fine. He goes along with it. And she takes the delicious food, the yummy food. And she gives it to her son, and he brings it in. And uh, he says, come and eat. And they have a little discussion. And after the whole discussion... And 
and I want to come and eat from your food, and then I'll come and eat from it. And then he gives him a bracha. And then after he leaves, Esav comes in. Yaakov goes out. And Esav comes in. He also made delicious food. Yeah. And he says, come and eat my delicious food. I'll give you a bracha. And Yitzchak gets very confused and says, but who was just here? And he says, that must have been Yaakov. So he says, what can I do? Yeah. He says, he already came. And I already ate from his food. So what can I do for you? Now, Yitzchak at this point in his life is already considered not in this world. Yeah? Yaakov is able to say, Elokei Yitzchak, which you can only say if your father is dead, but Yitzchak was so already out of this world that he, he wasn't even considered alive. And he seems to have one particular focus here. Bring me yummy food. And Rivka says again, yes, matamim, yummy food. And he brings the yummy food. And he says he eats the yummy food. And Rashi says that he tasted every taste that he wanted in it. Va'ocha mikol. He says, and I ate everything, says Rashi. Mikol ta'amim shibikashti. Litoim ta'amti I tasted every taste that I wanted. Now, there's an interesting thing over here in general. There's a story which I don't know if it's true. I heard people tell this story over many times. And I've heard people who uh, were close to the stifle who said it never happened. Yeah, it's a famous story. This guy goes to the stifle and says he has trouble finding a shidduch for his daughter. And he says, did you make her a kiddush? And he said, no. And he says, you missed out on all those brachas. And so people were very careful to always make a kiddush for their daughter. There were girls in the Rei Rushalayim who were Valei Chuvas. And they used to make themselves a kiddush that they were born, yeah? so that they should be able to ha- not have this problem. I heard people who were close to the sniper said it never happened. But it doesn't really matter whether it happened or not. You know? Certain stories are bigger than whether or not they actually happened. Pesach Krohn, he has to worry that the story is true. I don't. Yeah, it's a, everyone tells the story. It's like the story of Gifta. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories. Yeah? This couple comes to Rav Gifta and... Um, and, uh, and says, uh, you know, the wife says, I don't know what to do. The husband won't, my, my husband doesn't want to take out the garbage. And it's hard for me. It's heavy. It's difficult, you know. And he says, I'm a Ben Taira. I'm a Lenin Kailo. It's, it's, it's not Lefik Fodi to take out the garbage. So Gifta says to the wife, he's right. Okay. Then Arab Shabbos is not going to do it. It's from Gifta says, uh, Rebbe, what are you doing here? He says, I came to take out the garbage. 
He says, uh, it's hard for your wife. You're too chashiv. I'm not so chashiv. It's a famous story. It's been written up. Rebetzin Foyer, who's from Gifted's daughter, wrote a letter once to one of these magazines and said it never happened. She heard the story. She heard the story. And she says, I asked my mother, does it ever happen? She goes, how could it happen? He didn't drive. I never drove him to the other side of town with the Avrechim to take out the garbage. You know what I mean? Like, you know. He says, I asked my father, did it ever happen? And he goes, no. He says, what happened? He goes, the guy says, I don't want to take out the garbage. And I said, don't be stupid. Take out the garbage. <laughs> I still tell the story because the story is a great story. It doesn't matter whether it's true. <laughs> Certain stories are bigger than whether or not it's true. It moves into a into a realm, you know, every wine likes to say, all my stories are true, it's just some of them haven't happened yet, you know? So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great story. I heard a story from Gift, I told it over in a shir once, and two of his grandchildren came to me, they heard the tape. <laughs> but the, story, uh, the, the story goes that these two, these two Croatia women are talking, where they should go on vacation, because you want to go to the Catskills? There's no, there's too many Jews there. So we want to go to Florida? There's no, there's too many Jews there. And you want to go, yeah, there's too many Jews there. And the way I heard the story is from Gifta said, why don't you go to hell? There aren't too many Jews there. <laughs> I told this over to another God and he says, sounds like with Gifta. <laughs> Two of his grandchildren said, I don't know if it's true, but it's a great story. <laughs> so sometimes the story is bigger than, you know. Anyway, so, you know, uh, the, the disciple said you have to make a Giddish. I don't know if it's true or not. It doesn't make a difference. The story is a good story, yeah. So, uh, so I, I told this to somebody. He had, a, he had a baby girl. He wasn't sure if he was going to make a kiddush. I told him the famous story with the stipler, whether it's true or not. And uh, and he said to me, "Look, what's the purpose of making the kiddush? That you should be able to, to you know, get all the brachas. So you have to call up everybody and invite them to the kiddush anyway. So instead, I'll call them up. I'll tell them I had a baby girl. They'll give me a mazel tov, and that's enough. I don't have to make a whole kiddush. If the whole point is to get the bracha. I'll just call them up and tell them I had a baby girl. Get a bracha." I said, what do you see from this week's parsha? Yitzchak says, bring me matamim, and then I'll give you a bracha. You get a whole different bracha when you give somebody a kiddush first. You understand? They have a little lachayim, they have a piece of kugel, then boy, they'll give you a bracha. That's what you see, it's not a statement for it. Anyway, but I was a little concerned about this somewhat emphasis on it, and it suddenly occurred to me that this pops up in a number of places in the Parsha, and I will not bring all of them, but I will bring a couple of them that I think are particularly significant. And that's right over here at the beginning. Rivka gets pregnant, and the children are wrestling inside of her. They're, they're fighting inside of her. It's very hard. So she goes to Yeshua Sheva Eber to find out what's going on. There are two nations, two uh, people inside of you. But the Goyim, the word Goyim is written Geyim. Gimel Yud Yud Mem, two great ones. And says Rashi, why does it say Geyim? Elu Antoninus Verebi. This is the Roman Emperor. Antoninus and Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, of whom it was said on his deathbed, he lifted his ten fingers up to Shemayim and said, I never had a finger's worth of Hanaf from this world. Antoninus, who um, 
is associated by some people with the Roman Emperor um, Antonius Pius. I, uh, I used to teach in uh, Derech, the Rosh Hashiva there is Rabbi Lazarus. Um, he finishes Shas every year. Uh, that's on the side of all the other stuff that he knows. Uh, I happened to walk in once with a shear, and somehow he was talking about Antoninus, and he was explaining how if you read the writings of Antonius Pius, how they're different from the other Roman emperors, and he was comparing them. And I really said, well, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. This is like in another world. But evidently, there are those who believe that Antonius Pius was in fact the Antoninus who's referred to, who learned with Rebbe, had a chavrusa with Rebbe, you know, and was in a different world altogether. Unbelievable spiritual giants. So you have Rebbe, who, who it says that, you know, he was like the sun shining. He was able to bring together all the all the Chachamim to put together the Mishnah. He was such a tzaddik, such a chassid, such an un of all these unbelievable things. Antoninus, you know, who was this Roman emperor who there was created the eye of the hurricane of all the sufferings the Jews were having under the Romans so that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi could put together the Mishnah. You know, all the things that went into this. And Rashi tells us that Shnei Geim is referring to these two great people. Why? Because all year they had lettuce and radishes on their table. And that's what the Nevuah was. Yeah? Kodesh Baruch told Rivka, there are two great people who are going to come out of this. The Roman Emperor and Rabbi Yehuda Nasi who are always going to have fresh salad on their table. And therein lies the greatness of the fulfillment of Yaakov and Esau. I've always thought that was kind of curious. And that's not the one that bothers me the most. This is the one that bothers me the most. For Yosef Yaakov Nazid, Yaakov's making a stew. And Esau comes in and he's... Tired. Pour down my throat this red stuff. I'm tired. That's why he's called Edom, red. He said, pour this red stuff down my throat, and that's why he's called red. Right? If he was making butternut squash soup, he'd be called Katom. You know what I'm if he was making a, you know, a cream of broccoli soup, he'd be called Yerok. You know what I'm saying? He was called Edom because he was making something that was red. Says Rashi. Adoshim adumais, red lentils. There are two types of lentils, you know, there's red lentils and there's green lentils. Adoshim adumais. Va'osu ayom meisavram, shlo yira es esav ben benai yaisi l'tabesrai. Uh, yeah, Abraham died two, to two years earlier than he should have in order that he should not see Esav go out to Tarbis Ra. Actually, five years early. He died five years early. Yitzchak lives to 180. Yaakov loses 33 years of his life because of the whole conversation he has in Pyro. So he died at 147, which means otherwise he would have died at 180. And Avram dies at 175, so he shouldn't see Esav go off the derech. 
but otherwise Weiss says he should have lived to 180 also. Right? So he dies early. The Ainzu said, right, okay. He dies five years earlier. And he's bringing the Sudas Havra to his father, and he's making lentils. Why lentils? They look like a circle. A circle of life. Just like Adoshim have no opening, an Avel can't speak. That's why the first meal that we bring for an Avel is eggs. Because they're round and they don't have an opening. Yaakov was preparing lentils. Why? Because you bring an oval lentils. Why? Because lentils are round and lentils have no opening. And that's why we eat eggs. Let's try that one again. Lentils are round, lentils have no opening, therefore we eat eggs. Why don't we eat lentils? I asked this question to a group of students, and immediately they said, because I don't like lentils. <laughs> the minute in America is to bring bagels. I, it has an opening, it's a kasha. You know, the hole in the middle. I understand bialis, maybe. I don't understand, but you know, bagels. I sat shiva for my father. I couldn't look at a bagel for years. I ate so many bagels during that week. <laughs> Everybody brings you bagels. <laughs> you know, something round. That. So understand, why are we having lentils? Because it doesn't taste good, like they, they wanted to say. My father, Shalom used onion for carapace. When I went to day school, they told us you're supposed to use parsley for carapace. I came home and I told my father, we're supposed to use parsley. He says, that's ridiculous. My father uses onion. And I said, no. They taught us parsley. And so we put out parsley and onion. I ate the parsley. My father ate the onion. Yeah. I later found in, a, in the Haggadah of Yunus and Eibschitz that he says, for carapas, you're supposed to use onion. He says, He says, that makes no sense because you'd make a shahako on it. Nobody eats parsley, yeah. So uh, one for my dad. But uh, <laughs> when when uh, I got married, I used to go to my in-laws. My father-in-law used potato. Yeah. I have to answer questions on all kinds of subjects. I have an ultimate. People ask me, why do we eat latkes on Hanukkah? So I said, the minig is to eat foods cooked in oil. They said, because of the miracle of the oil? I said, no, because we want to show that we're not going to have great physiques like the Greeks. We're going to look like fat Jews. <laughs> so we eat food that's cooked in oil. So they said to me, but why potatoes? I said, because that's all they had to eat were potatoes. So they fried them in oil on Hanukkah. 
on Pesach they pretended it was a green vegetable, and the rest of the time they used it for furniture. That was it. All they had were potatoes. You know, you know the, the story, uh, you know, that uh, the Chaya Odom wanted to ask the potatoes on Pesach. Yeah, because uh, he says you can make it into flour like you see today. You know, now they make rolls and pizza, non gibrochs, you know, and, uh, and, and, and pasta, and the most amazing, all this amount of potato starch. There's two reasons for the issue of kidneys. One is because they used to store the grain with it, and the other one is because you can make it the flour. So, uh, you know, so he was going to asser the kartoffel, uh, asser potatoes. By the way, potatoes could not have possibly been included originally because potatoes are native to North America. They did not have potatoes until they discovered North America, along with coffee and chocolate and turkeys and tobacco. None of these things existed in the world. They all came from North America. Oh, Hashem, for the age of exploration. But anyway, so, uh, so he was going to uh, answer them. So... I don't remember who it was who said it, but they said, so change the name of your Sefer from Chaya Adam to Chaya Kartoffel, because they're the only things going to be left alive. If we don't have any potatoes to eat, we'll have nothing to eat, you know? And I see Rishalmi's, all they eat are potatoes, you know? I said to them, how can you get by a whole Pesach with only potatoes and onions? And the guy looked at me and said, onions? <laughs> who eats onions? Pesach. Anyway, so... Uh, Yeah, so, so uh, use an onion for carapace. And then people have a minute to eat uh, an egg. My father would take the leftover salt water. He would take his egg and mash it in, add in the raw onion left over from the carapace, and eat it like a soup. It was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life. I'm not even thinking about the most disgusting thing that I ever ate because I would never eat it. But it was just the most disgusting thing I ever saw. You understand? Outside of Shav. I don't know if you've ever seen Shav. Shav is that green bush. It's not really bush. bush. Shav is made out of something. I don't know what it is. It looks like a science project that my brother made once. I don't know. It's just the most scary thing I've ever seen. But anyway, I don't even know what it is. I don't want to know from it. But, uh, you know, but this is amazing. So now, my father moved on. I try to keep my father's minute. I use onion. My, my father-in-law, I told you, used potato. So the first time I made a seder by myself with my little kids, we put out the onion. Everybody, everybody had drank wine, because I convinced them you shouldn't have grape juice. They had wine. Then they ate the onion. Everybody threw up. They fell asleep. I finished the seder by myself. <laughs> so now we put out carapas. We put out potatoes. We put out onions. We put out parsley. I'm the only one who eats onion. Everybody else eats the potato. Yeah, and, uh, and then salt water is really very nice. But uh, what I did is I took out my father's minig, and at the Suda, the first thing I have is an egg in the salt water with the raw onion. It is 
horrific. There's no way that, that I, I have no positive thing to say about that except it's my father's minute and I think of my father and I try to keep the memory alive and all my kids are as disgusted as I was and my only bracha is that when I'm gone they'll force themselves to eat it too. <laughs> Which means so you'll eat, uh, you eat uh, lentils. Big deal. <laughs> if the minute is to eat lentils, you'll eat lentils. You know, that's the worst thing that you'll ever have to eat as a Jew. You know, I came home from school and he said to my father, you can't use crane for Murray. You have to use romaine lettuce. He laughed. It was the funniest thing. He said, they said, because you can't eat a sherbet, you have to grind it up and then take 1.1 fluid ounces in the cup. And he's sitting there with a chunk of horseradish root, eating it, going, oh yeah? I said, yeah, you can't do that, what you're doing now. He says, oh yeah? <laughs> and he says, they made them tough back in Poland, let me tell you, you know. A friend of mine told me, he says, you know when you make the charosas, you know, and you're, you're grating up the apple and you're eating some of the apple, he goes, that's what my grandfather did with the horseradish. <laughs> he grated the horseradish, take a few pieces, like, chew it up, it's a snack food back in Warsaw, what can I tell you? I was like, you know, hey, you want a piece of that, you know. We used to suck off the charosas and throw the thing away, it was impossible to eat it, you know, but my dad was, he was a Polish yid. I have some of it in me. I was, you know, I, I must have told the story already when I'm here, but, uh, you know, I had a heart attack and a, and a bypass operation. So um, when I was waiting for the, for the bypass, so the surgeon came in and he says, tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning, you know, you'll have, we'll, we'll take you early in the morning. We'll prep you for surgery. The surgery will take between four and five hours. And then you'll be in intensive care, you know, for the next two days. You'll wake up Friday morning. So my wife and my kids were discussing, so who's going to come to the hospital, who's going to be there, you know. So I said, did you hear the man? I'm going to be unconscious for two days. What are you coming for? I'll be in intensive care, you're not allowed in the room. I said, show up Friday morning, tell me you sat by my door, by the door of the room and cried for two days. I won't know the difference. You understand? Just go home. So the surgeon wasn't from me, he looks at me and goes, I can't believe it. A pale shayid. <laughs> I didn't know they still had those. <laughs> and then I realized, you know, my father would have said the same thing, my grandfather too, you know. He'd say, hey, Dan, that was really good. He'd go, nah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's a, it's an entire national cultural experience. But, um, you know, and that's why we could just eat horseradish root, you know, because it fit right in with our personality. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you have to eat it, if you had to eat it, you'd eat it. You'd get by, you know, you'd have to get by. So if the minute is to eat lentils, eat lentils. And the way Rashi puts it is so powerful because we, he was cooking lentils. That's why he's called Edom. He's called Edom because he was making lentils. Because lentils are round and lentils don't have an opening and that's why we eat eggs. It's just, it's just peladic. So, what's the emphasis here? And, and, and obviously, this is something that is so incredibly important. I speak to even secular audiences. And I say, you know, we Jews have an understanding when it comes to food. I, I, I was speaking at an encounter conference in Cape Town, South Africa. I might have told this story earlier. Um, in Cape Town, South Africa. And I was on a panel with myself and a Catholic teacher and a Muslim teacher. And they asked the Muslim teacher, you know, being a Muslim teacher in a, in a Jewish school, have you ever had any bad experiences? And she said, yes, I did. She says, one of the girls came over and, you know, offered me something to eat. And I said, I can't, I'm fasting. 
And they said, but you were fasting last week. She says, right, last week, this week, and for the next two weeks, it's Ramadan, we fast for 30 days. And the girl said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and I was so hurt that a Jewish girl couldn't have respect for somebody else's religion. Well, you can imagine the tension in the room. It was just terrible. And I said, I'd like to say something in this young lady's defense. I said, she wasn't making fun of your religion. It's just impossible for a Jew to conceive of fasting for 30 days. We fast for one day, and the whole time we're going, when is this over? When is it over? What time do you have? Tell me, is the clock fast? I, oh my gosh, he's never going to finish. <laughs> we fast one day. You know, we eat. That's what Jews do. We're good at it. We've mastered it, you know? So I'll sit with a secular audience and I'll say, you know, well, we know that we associate food with things like that, you know, and I'll say to them, Hanukkah, and they all go, Latke. And I say, uh, Purim, and they say, Hamantash. And I say, uh, Pesach, and they say, Matzah ball soup. And I say, uh, Rosh Hashanah, and they say, Apple and honey. If I have a group that's a little more knowledgeable, you know, I say, Tishbav, and they say, the egg with the ashes. I said, we even have a food associated with a fast day. You understand? <laughs> even though it's a fast day, it's got to have some food that's attached to it, you know? So, uh, you know, everybody, you know, Jews know food. There's something about it. It's what we do well, you know? Other people are probably good at fasting. Well, that's not our strong point, you know? We eat, and there's food associated with everything. You look at the Chassam Seifer. And he, he brings in reasons for every... We eat this food, we eat that food, why we have this, why we have that, you know. I may have spoken about this before, you know, about the... the uh, we dip an apple in a honey, Rosh Hashanah. Why an apple? So the Arizal says, cut an apple along the equator and you'll see that there's a five-pointed star inside and ten dots around it. It's the strangest thing. Tiny little dots. And so if the ten dots make a circle, there's also five spaces in between the five points of the star. So you have five spaces, five points, ten dots. That's a yud and a hay and a hay, ten, five, five. And if you look at the stem of an apple, it looks exactly like a vav. It says the Arizal, it's yud ke vav ke. That's what the apple is. I said this over once, and, and a Swedish girl says, now I understand... I never understood. My grandfather always cut an apple that way. He never cut it down the middle. And I said, why? And he says, you think I want to erase Hashem's name? And I never knew what he was talking about. You know? The Ariza. You know? So anything that, that we eat, anything we're doing, it's always for a reason. It's always for a purpose. When we have food, I, and... There's a uh, Zaya Kaddish that says that when the Maraglim came back, they brought these enormous fruits. Why? Says because there's two parts to eating. There's two parts when you eat. One part is the is the Gashmias, and the other part is the Ruchnias. Right? Uh, I'll give you an example. I ask groups sometimes. Why do we eat kosher? They say, health and hygiene. I said, you and I are obviously eating in different kosher restaurants. Because there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's not health and hygiene, you know? 
ask, why do we eat kosher? It, the, the Chazal tell us. Tim Tumalev. I have a friend of mine who's an armchair Kabbalist. You know? When he teaches a group of beginners who are just coming in, at the end of the year, he does his little party trick. He says, now I'm going to go around the room and tell you who keeps kosher and who doesn't. And he's always right. That's what he tells me. I've never seen him do it. This is what he tells me. And they ask me, how do you know? He says, because I threw in one advanced idea and these people got it and the rest of you didn't, so I knew that they kept kosher and you didn't. And he was right. We, we eat kosher because there is an energy inside of the food. The energy is, is a spiritual energy. And some foods have a positive one and some have a negative one that will seal you off to Ruchmiyot. And depending on the food and how it comes in, so, you know, that's why when the Chazal tells us by our Rimon, that most of it is psilis and there's only little dots of it because the rest of it's psilis. Um, the Eitzadas, according to Rashi on Chumash, was a Te'ena. It's a four-way machlekes in the Chazal. But Rashi says a Te'ena. A Te'ena has no psilis. It doesn't have a pit. The, the, the peel is edible. The whole thing is complete. You can eat the whole pre. There's no klipa. There's nothing there. It has such a positive energy to it. It has such potential for kedusha. Others have a pit. Others have psoilus. They have a rind. They have different parts to it that are not edible. But this is completely edible. Every part of it. When, when the when Kodesh Baruch Hu took away the Kedusha from the Amim, they now had to eat much more fruit to get the same power out of the fruit that they did when the fruit was small. So now they, could, they had to have a gigantic grape in order to, to get the same energy, the spiritual energy out of the grape. The physical energy was not the problem, but you had to pull the Ruchnius out of it. The Mun, the Ramban says, whatever this means, was Ruchnius in physical form. It was pure ruchnius. You ate. You were eating ruchnius. I don't know what that means. And it tasted like anything you wanted because it didn't have a physical tsura. It was only ruchnius, and it took on whatever form you wanted. <clears throat> when a person eats, a person has the ability to pull the ruchnius out of the food along with it. And so Yitzchak says to Yaakov, "Let me see." if you know how to prepare food that's going to have this ability. I heard from a Moshe Peru once on the Gemara and Brachos. You know the Gemara and Brachos. The Peru's Ginnisa. Reish Lakish. I'm trying to remember everybody who was there. I think it was, uh, I think it was Ravami. I'm trying to remember who the cast of characters were. They would go and eat the Peru's Ginnisa until they went out of their minds. It was so sweet. It says, to get the Ta'ame Taira. What does that mean, Ta'amei Torah? That means that the more you can understand the different Ta'amim, the more you can find the Ta'amim in Torah. The uh, Yerushalmi Bracha says that the Amorayim used to save up money so every new fruit that came out, they could taste it. They could, they could have all the different tastes. 
And by the way, we have no idea what that even means. We don't understand what that means to have the taste of fruits. I read once in, I don't remember where, where I think it was an airline magazine, that uh, they organize these things that are called fruit tours. The fruit that we get is based on the fact that they're the, the longest shelf life and the easiest to pack. Le dogma, red delicious apples. There are hundreds of different types of apples. Some of them are much, much sweeter. You know, there are apples that taste like bananas. Why you would do that, I, I'm not really clear, but there are apples that are gigantic, apples that are tiny, all different types, hundreds of apples. There was a farm in up, upstate New York that used to try to preserve the different types of apples. But the most common is Red Delicious. Why? Because it has a very long shelf life, and you can grow it so it comes out almost like a cube, and then you're very easy to stack and to be able to ship. And that's what we're looking for, fruit that stacks easily and lasts long. And so it's not the most delicious. But not everything has a, has a, has a long shelf life. So there's something called the fruit tour, where they go out to different places around the world to eat the fruit, taste the fruits from those places. Completely different tastes that you, that you would never have experienced if you didn't have the opportunity to go there. You know. So the, you, all the different tamim are there to be able to give me an idea of the taste of Torah. Torah lo nasna ela le man, because the people who ate the man understood how to be able to get all the tamim that existed, and from the Torah you have to get all the tamim. You have to have all the tastes. And so he says, whoever's going to get these brachas, do they know? Do they understand taste? Do they understand what? the potential is in the food. Yeah, Bali Musa don't have this problem. You know, real Bali Musa, they try to make food that tastes like nothing. But, uh, but, but there is an Indian to being able to get ta'amim. I say this only because I heard Rabbi Carmel once say over from Rav Desla that he stayed with a, the almona of a famous Bali Musa. And he says, and she used to serve bland food. You know, it says, Musa Haskel, you know, who says that food has to taste it? But there is a, there's a level to being able to taste it. But that's only because the food is there to serve a purpose, a greater purpose. Asaph comes in and looks in the pot and he says, give me from this red stuff. So Yaakov says, very strange. You know I don't do the cooking around here. Mom does the cooking. You should have looked in the pot and said, what's he cooking? Lentils. Why is he cooking lentils? Because lentils are round. Lentils don't have an opening. It's what you give to an oval. Oy vey, Zayda must have been nifter. I'd better run and be Menachem oval. Tata, he must be sitting shiva. You understand that it has meaning. He looks at it and says, looks good, smells good, probably tastes good. I'll have some. So Yaakov says, does he really not realize what the significance of the food is? So he says, I'll give it to you. Some of you are He says, okay. Okay. And Yaakov says, and I'll throw in bread. Oh, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know it came with bread, you know. Soup and bread, it was very nice, you know. He was willing to give away his Bechorah, but he understood why. Why is Edom called Edom? Because Edom is external. It looks, it's going on how it looks. 
That is the Golis Edom that we are in now. As we reach the end, it becomes that much more intense. And what's the most important thing? Externalities. Appearances. You know? This town comes to Chaim Briska. They want him to recommend a Rav. So he tells them, go wait in the library. In the library, there's this kid. Barely has a beard. He's just starting to grow in. He's sitting there. He's got thick glasses, kind of nearsighted. He's learning in the corner. Okay, so they're waiting. And eventually, Rav Chaim comes and he says, so, how are you getting along with your new Rav? Where? No, Yitzchak over here, you know. So says, uh, Rebbe, can we talk to you privately? He says, sure. So, Yitzchak, you want to step out? He says, what can I do for you? Says, That's not a Rav. That's a kid. A Rav has, has a presence. He says, oh, I didn't understand. And he calls over a kid. He says, go get the butcher. Tell him we're going to make him a Rav. You'll love him. He's got a big beard. Big, strong guy, deep voice. Just what you need for a Rav. Because you don't want a guy who's a Tamachacham, and you don't want a guy who's got the courage to be able to make the tikkunim that you need in your town. You want someone who looks good. You want someone who looks like a Rav. I never saw it, but everybody used to parody it. There was evidently uh, this commercial where this actor comes on and he goes, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on television. <laughs> What a bazillion! Don't you, don't you realize how stupid you sound? I'm not a doctor, but I play one on television, so let me give you medical advice. You idiot! Why would anybody listen to you about medicine? But that's not the kasha. They put him on TV as a, as a commercial to give medical advice because he plays a doctor. What could be better than that? And so you can find someone who knows how to play a rough. You know? They sound like a rav. And so, we are here today. My kids always get a kick out of it sometimes when I get a phone call, you know, and they say, they want Rabbi Orlovsky, you know? So I have to put on my rabbi voice. So. <coughs> like, <clears throat> hello? Yes, yes, this is Rabbi Orlovsky. And my kids are all laughing. Come on. Stop, get off! <laughs> yes, 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 my child. This is the rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's appearances. That's all that it matters, you know? And, and, and you find this even among, uh, you know, uh, um, among uh, Unzumenshin. It's more important how you look. We put the emphasis on all the externalities. I don't mean to offend anybody, because if this is a value for you, then I certainly, the last thing I want to do is offend anybody. Everyone who knows me already knows that I, I really go out of my way not to offend anybody. Anyway. anyway, there's enough stuff I made on the internet already. So, anyway, but um, uh, you know, there's a question. Some people ask, you know, when they come in from Stuchim, do they put a plastic on top of the tablecloth? Because if it does, then it's a chisarin in their own Shabbos. I heard this the first time. I said, tell them not even to look into us. Because first we put down table protectors. And then we put down the tablecloth. 
and then we take a heavy plastic and then we put a disposable plastic on top of that so that when the kids spill everything all over the place and we wrap it up and throw it away I find it adds immensely to my own Shabbos and when they used to spill it and ruin the table and ruin the tablecloth I find it took away from my own Shabbos you know but, but that's what's important that's what's important it's important how things look on the externality and it doesn't really matter whether it's real or not where is it coming from? it's coming from Golis Edom it's coming from a place called Edom Edom Adom Azeh what does it look like? that's all that people care about anymore all the externality all the, all the you know but what's inside and what's real Rabbi Howell from Baltimore did, a, did a, a video before Purim where somebody calls up for about a shidduch. I was asking this question, asking that question. And more and more, you know, I've, I've got the reading scores from fourth grade, but I don't have from third grade. And he goes, oh yeah, I have them. She was in the B group, but that's because she was younger in her class. But you know, by fourth grade she caught up. He goes, oh, okay. You know, he says, have any of the family been convicted of, you know, of... Uh, violent crimes. There's not only white collar crimes. They go to the finest, you know, prisons with with Dafiyami and you know, and so oh, very good, very good. <laughs> they go on and on with all these questions, and then finally he says, "I have one last question. Are, are they nice people?" He goes, "I don't know. No one ever asked me that question. I'll, I'll look into it." <laughs> you know, because you know, with the emphasis on so many things, that, that's where we're at. That's where we're at today. It's, it's everything that's external. We don't, we, the internal is not what's so important to us anymore. Never. Never. Parents said to me, I would rather send my kid to a school where I know that it will turn them off from Yahadus, but it sounds better for Shidduchim. Parents have said this to me. Because that's more important. You know? How things look. A young lady was a secretary for this Kirov organization, and the and the um, Shadchanim told her, "This a boy in learning doesn't want a girl who's uh, working in Kirov. You have to get yourself quit there and, and get yourself a job like race in a diamond business or something. You know, where, where they'll feel more comfortable." So she calls me up. I said, "Are you doing a good job?" She says, "Yeah." I said, "You're helping to be Marbet's Torah?" I said, "Yeah." I said. I don't know, my God won't keep a girl from getting her shidduch because she's helping to do Ratzin Hashem. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I must be crazy. I'm sure I'm the one who's crazy. You know? Here's a worse story. Because I always like to follow through with a worse story. Somebody once said, I want to leave you with a positive idea, but I don't have one, so I'll give you two negative ones. So, uh, I had to tell me da who was, uh, you know, in our community already getting on in years, you know, and uh, and she says the Shadchanim say that uh, I don't dress I don't dress right. So I said you dress very appropriately. She says yeah that's the problem. She says you have to dress a little bit more you know. Uh, they have different words for it, but you know the the halachic term for it is is, is called pretzis, but but they have different words for it, the code words you know. She says, and I told the Shadchan if the only way I can find a serious Ben Taira is to compromise my Tzniyas, I'd rather not get married. Because that's where we are. Rashi says, what's called, what's called a Shidduch 
Hagun is a tzaddik to a tznuah. That's the value. That's the value. But we put so much emphasis on the externality. So it's just, it's a nevach. That's because we're in Golis Edom. So what Ra, I think what Rashi is telling us is, you know why he brought him lentils? Because they're round and they don't have a pet. That's why we bring eggs. You know why? Because there's not a din in the lentils. It's something that's round that doesn't have a pet. And I don't care if it's eggs and I don't care if it's lentils because it's not the point of what you're serving. It's what the meaning is between what you're, what you're serving. It's something that has significance. And so when, when I say that I have all the finest food on my table on, on Taninus and Rebbe, they had the finest things. One of the Mepharshim say, Snone is something that grows under the ground and lettuce is something that grows above the ground because it was to represent that which is nigla and that which is nista. Because the food is supposed to be there to help me get the ta'ame teira and to be able to get the different feelings for it. But the idea is, what's, what's the purpose behind what I'm doing with it? Why am I eating it? Is it, is it just taiva? Is it just the way it looks? Just the way it tastes? Just, just the externality? Or do I understand that there's a potential inside of the food? We're not supposed to fast. Yeah? says, right? It's not a good thing. We're supposed to take from this world and we're supposed to use it to elevate it. Christians look at wine and they call it the devil's brew. Other people look at it and they drink themselves sick. Yeah? Guy told me he comes to Toronto, gets off the plane, and he sees another American drunk in the gutter. He says, what are you doing? You're an embarrassment to us. He says, what do you want from me? I got off the plane, I saw a big sign that said, Drink Canada Dry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so other people say, drink, drink, you know, get drunk. What's, what's the middle? To pick it up and make a kiddush. You know, to take it and, and mama's drink and become a drunk? Never, you can find this today, even among you, never used to be. When I got married, my father bought me a bottle of Shivas and Crown Royal. And he said, this will last you the rest of your life. Because <laughs> Jews don't drink, you know. Come in a little chayim, you know. I know when I was growing up, who drank? The old men at the Kiddush with hair growing out of their ears, you know what I mean? <laughs> a piece of herring on a kichel, you know what I mean? They say, hair, l'chayim, l'chayim. It burnt, it stunk, it was disgusting, it, you know. Still is. You know, you ever read the bottles? <laughs> With hints of vanilla and cinnamon. How much of that stuff did you drink before you started to taste cinnamon? You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's some cinnamon in here. You know? It's like, never used to be. You know, it changed. I remember seeing an ad once for Baron Herzog wines. It said, it's not the best kosher wine, it's the best wine. I don't want the best kosher wine, I want the best wine. If it happens to be kosher, okay, that's, you know, that's also good, you know? But I want only the, the best, I want all the finest things. 
Not because I'm going to use it to make a kiddish, just because I want the, the externality for what it is. I want the gashmias for what it is. Until the, 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 there's a nace and type of a nace. Sarah didn't have a rechem and Rivka didn't have a rechem. I could have broke to make a nace and then another nace in order to produce Yaakov and Asa. The Shapiro once said, the same nace that went to produce Yaakov went to produce Asaph. Why? Because the ideal was supposed to be Rebbe and Antoninus. Asaph was supposed to be there to take everything in the world and bring it to Yaakov so that Yaakov knew how to take it and bring it up, raise it up to the level where it was all Kedusha. The Masil Shasharim, Perakhavav, when he talks about uh, Kedusha, he says, what's the difference between a Kaddish and a Toha? A Toha knows how to take out all the bad things from the Gashmias, but they only take what they need. He says, but when you're a Kaddish, there is no Gashmias. Everything is Kaddish. There's no such thing as, 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 as precious at that point. Everything you eat, he says, is like a carbon brought on the Mizbeach. Whatever you drink is like Nesachim poured on the Mizbeach. When Yitzchak ate, anything that Yitzchak ate became a carbon. He was a Kaddish. And so he says to me, bring me matamim, bring me the finest. And I'm going to use that to reach even higher levels of Rukhmias. That's the potential that we have. The battle that we're waging today is Golis Edom. The battle that we're waging today is the battle of externality. Where, it's a, where the, the means becomes an end unto itself and not as a means for us to be able to take ourselves further. There's an old story. I don't know where the source is. There's two yeshiva guys living in abject poverty in Europe. And they're talking once and they say, what's Olam Haba? I says, well, probably. You're wearing big day Shabbos and you eat all the herring you want and you drink all the schnapps that you want. And then you sit down and you learn Tayyub the Bren. So the other one says, so let's have a taste of Olam Haba. They didn't have money for anything, but they scrimped and they saved and they starved penny by penny, grush by grush, until they had enough money. And they went out and bought a big jar of herring and a big bottle of schnapps. And they put on their big day Shabbos. And they ate all the herring, and they drank all the schnapps, and they, were, they never ate like this in their life. Oh. And one says to the other, now let's sit down and learn with the bren. And the other one says, <laughs> It's enough. No. There are people, I have a friend of mine who doesn't have the you know, the sensitivity and, and, and panache that I have, you can imagine. And uh, he was in one of these takeout places in, uh, in some place in Yerushalayim. And the guy's saying, that looks good, give me a piece. Oh, give, give me a piece, give me a piece. L'chvoyit Shabbos Kodesh. And everything he's saying, L'chvoyit Shabbos Kodesh. And finally, a friend of mine turns to him and says, what are you kidding yourself? This isn't for Shabbos. Say, L'chvoyit Ta'avosi. 
I'm doing this just for my taivas because I'm about taiva and I want to sit down with two hands and shove it in my mouth like an animal. Like I said, not everybody has my gift of finesse and sensitivity. <laughs> but, but let's face it, is that really what it's about? Are you using it for Oneg Shabbos to lift you up to a higher level? If you are, that's the purpose of all the Tamim, to give me a deeper insight. And if not, Nebuch, it's just, it's just Taivas. Instead of it being something that I look at and I understand, oh, this must be for Sudas Havra, I look at it and say, Teme Adam Adam This is the battle at the end of time, my friends, and we are at the end of time where we have to be able to look at the Gashmias and find it only for the Ruchmias and not as an end unto itself, not to go for the Adom Adom, how does it look, how does it taste, but rather what's the potential for Kedusha that exists inside of the food. Everyone should have a beautiful Shabbos with all wonderful, spiritually delicious food. Thank you.